Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live. I'm joined as always by four-time national road champion Johnny Trevorrow, Olympic gold medalist Scotty McGorry. Fellas, there's a lot to unpack. We mentioned Scotty early in this uh, Giro episodes about the protest stage, a very famous stage when we lapped it up and we had a few beers at the finish. Uh, it happened again. Uh, it looks like not much changes at the Giro, mate. Not much. So that was 2009 protest in the, the, the Milan stage because it was just so dangerous. There were still cars on the course. They hadn't cleared the course for the race. So the guys took it easy, gave us a little bit of extra time to few, throw down a few more bevies, um, which just made those post-race interviews far more interesting um, and embarrassing for me. But this has been coming for a long time and there's been a lot of criticism. For those of you that don't know what happened, um, riders did turn up very early for the start of what was to be a 260-odd kilometre stage. Uh, they all knew about this. They knew it was coming. But the transfers leading up to it over the last couple of days, the long time spent in the bus, then it rained. And some of the people have accused the riders of being soft because, well, they just didn't want to race for a long time in the rain, which that may have added to it, but it wasn't really all about that. So the riders cracked the sads. They cracked the shits and said, we're not going out. And um, then they drove up the road along the course Reluctantly, the race organisers allowed them to shorten the stage and end up being 130 odd k's. Flat chat, breakaway, you know, interesting sort of stage result, I guess, um, considering what they would have had, which would have been an incredibly long and boring flat stage in the rain. But it creates a lot of debate. We still had a result. Um, it was only 130 odd k's. So the teams, there were two teams that would be very disappointed in this, and that's Ineos and Bahrain McLaren because they have two riders that they want the peloton and, in particular, Sunweb, to get more and more fatigued heading into the final two stages. So they would have wanted to race the full distance. Pretty much everybody else didn't want to. Um, well, we're going to discuss all of this in a lot of detail throughout the show. We've got Rob Arnold from Ride Magazine coming on. But if he, our first guest is ready, uh, is in quarantine in WA, do you want to give us a bit of an intro, mate? <laughs> Yes, uh, Brett and Jones, uh, uh, you know, one of our uh, top pros over the years, Australian Criterium champion just a couple of years ago, winner of uh, the famous Bay Crits, of course. So, um, And uh, his mum uh, uh, works a lot with me. She actually delivers the Bay Crits these days. Uh, but Britain's been uh, in uh, Britain riding for uh, DHB uh, Canyon. Uh, but, of course, they haven't been able to race. There'd been no racing in Britain, so he's been stuck over there. He finally managed to get home, so we'll hear from him. Britton Jones, welcome oh, on to the show, mate. Oh, good night, bud. <laughs> 14 here, look out. <laughs> How are you holding up, mate? How many days into quarantine are you? Yeah, three. Day three here, Dan. So uh, out of 14, we've got a few to go, 11 more nights. But, uh, yeah, just getting through. Yesterday was a tough day for me, kind of uh, a bit... Uh, Restless and, and jet lagged, but uh, yesterday and last night I had a good sleep. So today I'm feeling a lot better. But I think it's Lucy's turn today. She had a, a restful night's sleep, so she's not feeling uh, too good and, and can't join us today. Yeah, Mate, so I wanted. To, well, it's going to talk to Lucy because she's a bit of a character. But uh, it sounds like she's a bit softer, you know, with a headache and can't come on. But that's fine. We'll, we'll forgive yeah, her. Yeah. But look, it's been an amazing year. So take us a bit through it. I mean, you're over there. You're about to uh, uh, have a what you could hope would be a breakout year in, in racing with a, with a new team. But uh, that never happened. No, unfortunately, it didn't. We we got over there, and uh, after a couple of weeks, I was already two races in. Uh, the first race in Belgium, I can't remember that name. And the second one was in Holland, uh, the Ruckman Classic. 
uh, 1.2, but it's a big race and got a got a good history as well with a, a winning list and a, and a um, you know a riders who have won that race have gone on to do bigger and better things. Uh, the winner this year was David Decker. He's just signed with Lotto Jumbo, um, and he bet me by half a wheel um, over a 200-kilometer race. So I was very close, and the form was really progressing well. And I was looking forward to another strong um, calendar of European races in the following month to come. And that got cut short, unfortunately. Um, and then we, we chose to stay in Europe and stay in the UK. We were safe there. We were happy. Um, we were healthy. We got family there. Um, and we weren't impacted by too many things there. Although the lockdown was bad, we were still able to get outside and I could train every day. Um, and unfortunately, no races came um, due to the team's insurance and the, and the British uh, having a, a restriction and 14-day quarantine period for, for traveling to, to Europe. So uh, the team's insurance didn't cover our health uh, when we went to these races. And the team manager, Tim, made the call to, to not send us um, seeing some of these things that you saw with Jakobsen. If, if that had happened to one of us, then we would have been in a, in a real trouble um, coming back home to UK and not having insurance. So the team couldn't race uh, the rest of the year, which is really unfortunate. How were you holding up, mate? You put a lot on the line for this uh, pro cycling journey. Uh, and as you said, you're in good form and you simply couldn't race. I mean, it's it's obviously tough for a lot of people, but how did you hold up personally? Yeah, um, I think did okay. Obviously, my wife Lucy to support me there as well. Fantastic. We made a lot of friends. And like I said, we had family there too that, that helped us along that journey in the last few months. Um, it's something that's going to be, uh, be a good story to tell the grandkids in the future, that's for sure, because... Uh, you know, it's um, a crazy year for everyone, but I think, yeah, personally as well, to to have uh, an, an impact like that into to my career, I'm not sure what's going to happen next year. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm open to, to possibilities and I want to keep racing. I don't want to finish like this, but um, it's been a tough, tough year. Um, but like I said, the friends and family, everyone who supported us this year in the UK really helped us get through and we're lucky to have them. And uh, take us... You are, mate. Just... Just saying, like you know, okay, you haven't been able to race, but you're watching all this racing that has been going on. Obviously, the biggest races, the classics and the Grand Tours, have uh, have been underway. Uh, a lot of countries um, haven't been able to put on any of the smaller races, though. Has it been somewhat frustrating that there is some racing on, but uh, you're on a part of the world that uh, I guess COVID really has been hit, um, well, has been hit very badly by COVID. Yeah, for sure, Scott. I think. Um that's been a massive, uh, a massive influence as well, and makes it even more harder to see these bigger races go ahead. Um, and obviously, you know, our team's not going to line up in the Tour de France, um, but the, uh, to see these other smaller races go ahead, some of which we were actually going to do. Um, uh, I can't, you put me on the spot here with the names of them again, but they were they were one point one, one point pro races we were going to do. The team's got a great calendar um, in Belgium and in in Holland, and and these races did go ahead, and we were not on the start list. And that was even more more painful, I think, to see those ones not go ahead because they would have been really, really big opportunities for us. Take us through the process of even getting back to Australia. Um, I, I believe that was a, it was a headache. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dan, the first flight we had was on Qantas. Uh, we booked it December last year. We were due to come home in September 21, three days before my brother Jared and his wife's Claire's uh, first child's first birthday. Uh, so we missed Archer's first birthday on the 24th um, and we got postponed as well. I was going to already stay longer and, and miss that uh, kind of month because of the racing season. As you've seen, it's been pushed back. I was already going to stay maybe until October anyway, maybe happy for Lucy to go home before me. And then this whole quarantine eventuated as well. So we chose to come home together and, and stick it out together. Um, obviously now no races happened. So we had a flight on October 28th into Brisbane on Etihad that got cancelled too. Um, these are both economy tickets, you know, standard ticket for any most uh, Australian citizen. Um, and and uh, Lucy's 
um, you know, since chosen to to accept um, a very nice career opportunity, which she can update everyone in the future about. Um, and we, we need to come back for her as well for that, um, as, as I did to enjoy the summer with my family too um, in the off-season, which, which I always do. Um, so we decided to, to purchase a business class flight. Um, we're very fortunate enough to have taken that and, 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 and fortunate enough to have the funds and support to, to make that happen. And we came back into Perth where we are right now in quarantine. So um, that was a, a last-minute decision and we, we booked that flight uh, literally three weeks ago. Um, uh, I was going to say that, and they t- they tell me that uh, uh, your bike uh, didn't come through the uh, journey quite as well as you did. I hear there's a few uh, few problems with the baggage handlers, mate. <laughs> I know what's to go there, John. I think I'm chasing that up with the insurance, and hopefully, I'm get something through there. Uh, the team just um, gave me it was a brand new bike as well. They 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 pumped off for me, and uh, and the contract was to keep my race bike and. Uh, Thankfully, or however fortunate enough you, you can see that situation being, I didn't get to race, but I've got a brand new bike, so that's a that's a win. But um, <laughs> it's come back with a few marks on it, and I'll chase up the insurance on that. And uh, I'm lucky to have my brother Jared working for Canyon Australia, so it's making the, uh, the the interaction there a bit easier. And I think he sent me a, a part I did lose. I haven't been on my bike yet in quarantine. I've lost a, a seat clamp, so uh, I think uh, if Australia Post is out there, come and get it to me, please. <laughs> well, you you might you might get the part, or you might get a three thousand dollar watch in the mail. Who knows? From one of those things from Australia Post. But um, and, and we were talking to Matty Pointer yesterday, and he said he's dropped off the uh, the home trainer for you to whack the bike onto. So yeah. hopefully that's all going the next day or so, mate. Yeah, cheers to Matty for that as well. He dropped it off yesterday, and I, uh, Lucy messaged me when when that point of message. Uh, Lucy told me yesterday when that point of message uh, late in the night and Lucy said, did you not thank him yet? And I said, oh, I've completely forgot. And I, I didn't realize I had an afternoon nap for about an hour. Woke up, drowsy's everything. And Lucy was playing music, open the curtains. I still didn't wake up. And I obviously just saw his message and didn't reply. So sorry about that, Matt, but thanks for the trainer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just while you're in quarantine, it poses the question. So Tour de France race director in Christian Prudhomme tested positive at the first rest day of the tour and had to do eight days in quarantine before he's allowed to come back to the race. But everyone's still doing 14 days when they come back into Australia. So do we understand, does anyone understand why Prudhomme only had to do eight and while you still have to do 14? So I've got no idea. And if anyone wants to update me on that, that would be fantastic. Um, don't get me started on this whole thing. I think uh, I was actually just talking to Harry Sweeney on Instagram um, literally five minutes ago. And he said, bro, that's insane. Like, He's actually in quarantine in Brisbane, right? Um, doing the 14 days as well, which is fine. Uh, but they're allowed to go out for, outside for one hour. He's been doing some runs in the car park there. Um, and here in Perth, literally, we are not allowed out of this room to get fresh air. Not allowed to go for walks outside, even if it's in a car park. Um, and that, that's not that's not great. That, that should be illegal. And I think uh, we're joking. Uh, but- uh, 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 we're from Victoria, mate. You stay in your room. <laughs> <laughs> this is the school you just there, son. I'm negative. <laughs> Yeah, well, well Simon uh, Garens yeah. is in. Uh, it's interesting with all the riders coming back now. So Simon's yeah. a former rider, but he's in quarantine up in Brisbane. And on his social media, he was um, uh, bragging about the fact that he was actually allowed onto the balcony. So he at least gets yeah. some, some sunshine, some fresh air. I think you got Shannon Malsey, former Australian road champion. She's in quarantine in Perth at the moment as well, just going yeah. through. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So it's quite difficult, but uh, yeah, what's this place? So what's what's the plans now, mate? Once you get out, uh, obviously spend some quality time with the family and that. But um, is there any ideas on how next year is going to look? 
Yeah, um, not too sure. Like I said, um, who, who knows? I think uh, Lucy's going to be, be following her, her, her career goals in, in, in Melbourne um, and following her future there. And so if I do head back to Europe, it's going to be for probably a six-month stint um, or, or, or something like that next year. The team want to have me back. They've got a great calendar as well, um, finishing off with races like Tour of Britain next year. Um, and a whole host of races in Europe as well. These 1.1s and 1.pros I missed out this year, um, so I, I want to go back and do that. Um, and if if Canyon's the only the only team um, that are going to come up with a contract for next year, then I'm going to have to consider going back there and maybe doing that. Uh, but like I said, if another job or role comes up in Australia, that's too good to refuse, and that's the way it's going to go. Um, but undecided yet, I want to keep racing. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, just talking about Lucy. Uh, are you not allowed to say what her great new role is because? Uh, we do know, and it's been out there. Could, I think. I couldn't think you join those there. dots, Iffy? Couldn't you join them? Yeah. They're no. pretty easy. Like they're right there. You could yeah, yeah. But uh, okay. Uh, anyway, whatever. But she's also been working uh, for Sunweb over the last few months, doing uh, in charge of their social media. Uh, uh, up until just you left a few days ago, that must have been at least kept you guys in feeling like you're a part of the uh, the European season. Yeah, for sure. It's been great for her. I think. Um, as any other freelance um, journalist and freelance um, media um, person overseas, they, they've suffered a lot this year. She's lost a lot of work. She was going to work at Roland Garros, couldn't do that. Was going to work at maybe the the women's the, the women's Giro and and the other uh, races there in Europe as well for Ant McCrossan and the guys um, over overseas in the UK. Um, but she had lots of opportunity, and unfortunately, Sunweb came through um, to to give us some work in this past month, which has been fantastic. She. She um, was working on the the Volta, um, the Giro as well, um, and covering some of the the classics, including Flanders. So for her to cover those races, write their media report, do the do the the, the tweeting and the Instagrams for Sunweb was an amazing opportunity, and she's really established a great connection there. I've been very impressed with Sunweb this year. Uh, just about the most exciting team, actually, right through all of the races. They've been young, uh, aggressive, uh, and coming up with some fantastic race plans each time. So I've been loving them, and uh, uh, I reckon they'll, they'll take out the, this year. It's going to be close, but I, I reckon Cullen will probably end up uh, uh, winning it on Sunday. So we'll, we'll debate all that shortly, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Be interesting. How do you keep fit? What do you have to do, Brenton? Well, you're, obviously the season's been heavily compromised, so you wouldn't have been racing, so your, your fitness levels wouldn't be great, I would imagine. But what do you do now in, in the hotel room? Uh, in the hotel room, so daily daily home gym and exercise. I'm a qualified personal trainer. Um, had that for a few years now. So I kind of uh, am making a few sessions for Lucy and I to, to do. I think today we were going to do the 10,000 step challenge and we'll walk around our room for as long as we can until we pop up 10,000 steps. So I'll, let you know how that one, I'll let you know how that one goes. Um, well, as I said, Lucy had a bad night's sleep, so it's already 9.30 here in Perth and we haven't started the step challenge yet, so we could be going fairly late into the, the evening, but uh, the AFL grand final and Cox Plate on today, so that will get us through. Um, but yeah, just a few home gym exercises, keep up my core as much as possible. Um, and, and, and any other little body weight exercises like that, as I said, my bike still get to be fully made up. When I get this clamp, I'll, I'll jump on the turbo and do an hour or two a day. Hey, what, uh, what floor in the hotel are you on? Uh, floor 21. So, floor say 21. We, so yeah, people on four, right. So if people on 420 are probably not too happy about this 10,000-step uh, challenge every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, people on 420 just uh, yeah, be, be, be very, uh, don't, go, don't go to sleep in the next few hours, let's put it that way. <laughs> So, so Bre Breton, um, what part of uh, of England were you you're living? 
um, in beautiful part in uh, in the Peak District, East Cheshire, where we were, um, in a small town called Disley. Beautiful, beautiful little village there. Um, we're near near some famous climbs. Um, when it's passed there, Tour of Britain and some of the biggest races have been around there before. Uh, but Peak District is a beautiful place to train, and a lot of other professional riders living close there as well, um, including I think. Um, Alex Edmondson, when he was back staying there a bit, he spent a lot of time in the UK and also um, from Lotto Trudeau, if someone could help me, UK UK rider um, who won a stage of Down Under. Matt, 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 um, what's his name? Matt Holmes. He oh, was yeah. Right yeah. So yeah. It's a beautiful area. Beautiful area to train. And How was the COVID situation there, mate? Do you, do you know what the cases were like in that region? Uh, cases were there, obviously a lot, a lot more than what we got here in Australia. But uh, and 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 I think Stockport and, and Greater Manchester were one of the highest actually in in the UK. Uh, but where we were in the little pocket towards the Peak District, the the zones were quite different. It was like two kilometres down the road, they were locked in their house, and we were able to go and exercise and do daily things. So the zones and how they're doing the locked and central locked zones at the moment in the UK is quite interesting. Um, so like I said, the cases were. Pretty heavy, five kilometres and even two kilometres down the road. But where we were, the the cases were, you know, as as normal. I guess not too bad. So when you when you realised you weren't going to be able to race, what else did you start looking at doing? What else did you do in that time to keep yourself occupied? So um, two things actually, John. Uh, one, I started a, a university degree um, online, a bachelor of business management, um, which is fantastic. I think I'm really been enjoying that. Um, learning new things and, and improving myself and that's going to be something that hopefully is going to set me up in the future as well um, so that's been keeping me very busy over the time the last six months I think I started that back in April or late April um, so just after lockdown started I said that's it I'm going to do it give me something to do you know I'm, I'm at home too much now got too much time on my hands and the other thing was an opportunity from the local bike shop which was 200 meters from our doorstep um, and I enjoyed working there actually selling bikes and uh I think, yeah, very valued my time there uh, with, with guys that I could um, communicate with, become best friends with, um, and really took my mind off the racing side of things. But I was still in the bikes. I'm obviously passionate about cycling, and, and I was enjoying supporting and selling bikes to people that were enjoying the same passion I do. You can get some tips from Iffy on how to uh, con people to pay overs. <laughs> Give us some tips, John. Come on, John. What's this con business? You've got to. Be, it's all about honesty, mate. And it, 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 it's just Britain, like yeah. Me. Do you honestly just... overcharge? <laughs> no, no, no. The best deal. Always offer the best deal and honest service. And that's exactly what Britain would have been, just like me. Oh, for sure. Before we let Britain go, we do. We need to do the uh, uh, the Mitchell and Mitchell and okay, okay. Because Britain uh, can add his little bit to it. This, uh, right. which I think, would be pretty special. You know. In fact, why don't we start off with some different photos? Mitchell and Wines. Here we go. Look at oh, this. Look at that. Hey. Look at that. Now, Britain. What are your memories of that, mate? Because it was, I was lucky enough to be at that wedding on the yeah. banks of the Goulburn River at the beautiful Mitchell and Winery. So, uh, Britain, what are your memories of that, mate? Special, special day. Look at that photo. Perfect. That's <laughs> Jeez, that's that's floating with danger there, mate, with the old chain ring. We got through that. That's actually a clean chain ring on that canyon bike there. And Lucy did manage to not get any grease on the dress. That's fantastic. Uh, but, but stunning, stunning venue. They're absolutely stunning. You guys talk about it every day, I know. But um, Mitchell and Winery there and, and Jerry Ryan, who um, shout out to, to say thanks for helping us um, out a bit of that wedding as well. Uh, fantastic venue. And Recommend anyone getting married to go there and look and check it out. 
Yes, that's a, a nice, nice little shot there of the beautiful Mitchelton Hotel, which is absolutely sensational. Um, but yeah, we experience the history, the the uh, uh, the beauty and the serenity uh, of the of the Goulburn Valley. And there's a, a little shot there of the wonderful Aboriginal art uh, uh, gallery, which is down four hundred thousand dollar truck. Yes, yeah. no, it's a fifteen thousand dollar truck with a four hundred thousand dollar paint job. That's correct, <laughs> and you can socially distance at your weddings if you need to. Yes, well, uh, Britain and Lucy didn't get that far apart, but uh, those two are going to have a a, a a running jump at each other, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> One of the beautiful Mitchelton wines, uh, the Masan. But uh, yes, yeah, so uh, there is in your fantastic cellar cell door where you can book a wine table. Tasting. That's uh, the day spa where you can quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover your balance after a couple of reds uh, in a sitting of peace and harmony. But it is just a wonderful venue, uh, as Britain uh, just mentioned, an iconic place to go for a wedding or major function. Bloody oath. Well said, John. Well said. Hey, uh, Britain, we really uh, appreciate you coming on the show, mate. It's been a tough year, but. Uh, you know, hopefully things obviously clear up and, and you can get back racing sooner than later and uh, bigger and better things in 2021, buddy. For sure. Thanks very much, guys. Awesome to chat to you. Good no worries, mate. Thank you, mate. Lucy. Yeah. See you, mate. All right, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors, Bike Exchange, and on the back of that, we're going to be joined by Ride Magazine creator Rob Arnold. If I can find the video, there it is. Enjoy. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Thanks again to, to our great Not mates bad. at Bike Exchange. We're now joined by Ride Magazine creator, owner, cycling journalist, entrepreneur, Rob Arnold. Uh, Rob, thanks for joining the show, mate. We were, we were talking before about what happened overnight at the Giro with the riders protesting. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts, particularly about the bloke who runs the show there. Uh, but before we start really getting out the old one wood, uh, what are your thoughts, mate, on what happened overnight? Uh, I didn't catch up too much on it. I uh, went for a ride, and that's why I'm sitting here looking like I'm dishevelled and, and, and probably because I, I got lost. And uh, I don't know, it was longer than I meant to be, so I haven't caught up on the news terribly much. I woke up in uh, sort of at about, I, I can't remember, about 2.30, and I came down and I read some headlines, and I thought I saw a tweet from Adam Hansen saying that he'd sent a telegram it's like, could that be right? Do people send telegrams anymore? 
And um, anyway, so I was a bit sort of confused by the whole thing and then I thought I'll, I'll look into it after my ride. So, guys, i got very little to offer other than to say uh, I went out and did the 124 missing kilometres of the stage. So uh, if that's worth anything, that was sort of <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I didn't quite mean to go out. Scotty, you, you, you're across it. Bring us up to speed of what's happened overnight. Yeah, okay, so the, the what Adam had said is that they tried to talk to the organisers in the coming days leading up to this particular stage. And then, of course, when they woke up this morning, uh, it was a very early start for them to get to the start of the race. It was pouring rain. Um, so what some fans are looking at is that oh, the guys were just a bit upset with wanting to not wanting to race a long stage in the rain. But apparently there had been attempts to get some dialogue with the race organisers about this stage, about how long it is, so deep into the race, it's not necessary. Um, now, behind the scenes, uh, what I guess the fans don't recognise or understand is that the Giro, for a long time, has the reputation of having the longest transfers of all of the big races. You know, they basically just, they don't care where the stages are, they just make the teams drive for so many hours before and after to get to those days. You've got the super long stages. It's also has a reputation of being perhaps uh, the hardest in terms of terrain of, all, of the three Grand Tours. So you put all those things together and you start to get some pretty upset riders because it's a brutal race. They're not really getting straight to the hotel every day. That adds to, to the fatigue. And then you throw in a stage like this at 260 kilometres with a couple of days to go. I understand the theory behind trying to have a long stage to really hurt the riders and make the last two stages of an incredible battle of, of resistance and resilience of the GC guys. Um, but this is not just the riders waking up this morning saying it's raining, we don't want to race 260 k's. This is five to six years of built up anger and angst towards the race organisation for the transfers they have to do, the brutality of the, the, the stage, the safety discussions. You know, you think about, we've already had early in the, the Giro, there were so many conversations about the safety and the crashes that were happening and the helicopter flying too low and causing crashes. You don't have these conversations at the Tour de France. There's very rarely is there a conversation around the safety of the riders. It's all taken care of and all thought out ahead of the race. That hasn't been the case at the Giro, and it's all come to a head with this particular stage. So the riders protested, said we're not going to the start line. The organisers did then make the compromise and say, well, we'll, we'll let you shorten the race, which they just they were reluctantly doing it. They just had to get the thing happening. They got uh, obviously broadcast rights and situations with media and television. So they all drove further along the course and only raced the last 130Ks. So it was a bit of a balls up, and the race organiser, or uh, well, the race director is saying that someone will pay. Now, I think he's paying for his actions over the last five to six years. It's built up to this point, and the riders have never had a strong enough voice to actually make a difference beforehand. And this is where it, it all falls apart in a situation like this, and it looks bad for everyone. Yeah, so, so they actually started the race, uh, you know, did the did the in control section, you know, five or six k, then jumped it, you know into their buses and cars and uh, and um, shorten the stage by 100-and-something kilometres. You know what? There's two sides to this. You're dead right, Scott. I mean, it is built up uh, anger over a long time. I think tempers have gotten frayed over the last few days because of those great long transfers. You know, they're right into the end of a three-week grand tour that's been very brutal. But you know what? They've known this for a while. They reckon they've tried 
to to have some conversation with uh, Mara Vegni, the, the the race director. But to do it on the style, to turn up the start, say we're not doing it. I, I just think it's uh, pretty pretty weak, actually. I mean, I, I agree that it's ridiculous having a two hundred and sixty or two hundred fifty eight kilometres was the supposed uh, length of that stage, which is a bit ridiculous. It doesn't need to be that long. Two hundred twenty would have been fine, but that's what it was. And wait until the day of it to do it. I just think it looks a bit weak. It looks bad for the for the cycling, for the sport. But I think, you know, with the whole COVID situation, everyone's just getting, uh, um, you know, frayed tempers uh, and uh, they've just snapped, I guess. That's the way and, it is. And, and the mistake that um, – sorry, Dan. The mistake that, I guess, Adam – because Adam became the writer's spokesman as the you know, oldest statesman in, in the peloton and one of the, the more articulate. Uh, I think the mistake he actually made in his – Twitter statement was that he also brought in the pandemic, um, which in this case isn't relevant. You know, he, the writers aren't wanting to have a shorter race because their immune systems are compromised in the middle of a pandemic is what, she's, what he said. They've started the bike race as professional athletes and they, you had to separate that. Don't, don't talk about the pandemic in this situation. It was completely irrelevant. But there's a big, yeah, there's a big difference between um, May and or October, isn't there, in Italy? You know, I mean, I know that uh, Giro's been affected in May by snow and weather, but uh, I've also been there in October and I know how nasty it can get. And you looked at the Stelvio just the other day, was, uh, you know, they were lucky to get up, uh, up and over that mountain. Um, and also, isn't there a regulation that got introduced after 98 that the maximum length of the stage was 225 kilometres? And then when they announced the route for the Giro, uh, I did look into it and there was, there was some anomaly they were allowed to throw in one or two stages. Yeah. Scott, you know this in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, no, you're spot on. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. 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 So, and well, so the women's Giro this year, the, the Giro Rosa, they put in a 170-kilometre stage for them. The first time they've had something so long and a lot of the, the ladies had been campaigning to get longer stages for them, but it was only the one stage. And we've seen it at the Giro all the time, 240, 250. They'll throw these stages in. And um, and that is still – I don't necessarily disagree with having those length of stages. You know, the sport is a traditional sport. It's about fatigue. It's about everybody fatiguing at whatever rate they naturally do. Um, and it's the best and the strongest and the toughest that prevail in the end. That is part of the sport. Um, and there was, there was lots of comments from – uh, so previous generations having a go at the riders saying that they're soft and we used to do 300k stages and 360 and 80 kilometer stages back in the day um, you know and and those sorts of conversations are completely irrelevant as well like we have moved forward we're trying to make cycling far more entertaining but you can go too far that way as well i saw a comment from mike tomalaris that said that uh, he thinks that uh, no grand tour should have a stage over 150 kilometers now, from that standpoint, from a television standpoint, yeah, it's about trying to make this, the stages as short as possible and entertaining, still with an endurance element. But there's a big difference from a professional rider's perspective. We know how much of a challenge it is for the there's – a, there's, a, a, I guess, a particular breed of cyclist that consistently racing longer day after day after day, um, that brings the very, very best, the most talented athletes uh, to the top, and and that's why the classics, you know, the monuments are two hundred and fifty plus kilometres because there are a lot of riders that can race up to two hundred k's and still be competitive, but there's only a very few that can actually take that next step, and that's the the endurance element of cycling and the tradition of it that we have to also remember when we're having these conversations. 
I, I think that um, we've seen a pattern here, fellas. Like we've seen a lot of post-race emotional interviews. We've seen a lot of riders openly talk about the taxi part of this season. You know, we're into October. A lot of these riders have been gone through pay cuts, all this sort of stuff, right? So it's building to a point where they're in a mental state where they've had enough. You know, they're not actually in a really good spot. And the thing with the Giro, right, and this is what really shits me about this organisation at times, so from my perspective is if you try and run a race and you use bullying tactics, right, it's our way or the highway. It's a very much a muscle game at the moment because there's this fear of ownership, stand your ground, you know, make a stand. It's our way or the highway or whatever. Yeah, okay, you can get away with that to a certain point. But what is your product, right? Your product is teams racing each other across your race route or whatever. There has to be an element of buy-in. You have to listen to what people say for the betterment of the sport. So what shitted me off, right, is I worked my ass off to do backstage passes, right, which was all about giving value-adding to the teams and to give them exposure. I was told the night before the 2016 Giro, I got put on more restrictions than you would at Olympic Games. I couldn't film at the buses. I couldn't interview my team. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't use race vision, couldn't do anything. I was told that the night before. And I said, well, hang on, ASO run this race. It's even bigger than yours. And they give you a three-minute highlights package that you can use the highlights of that, put it all together. And then, yeah, they're rules. I can't use any vision, but there's rules and I'll follow them. And it's all for the betterment of we don't get a cut of the race um, television broadcast or anything like that. So it's all about working together and compromise. But the Giro were flat out like, nah. So I cracked it. And that's why I did that video of like, well, this is a joke. I'm just going to do bloody recreate the races with toys just to show how stupid this is. So when we released that, Cycling Weekly did a news article and said, Orica Green Edge have the last laugh and do this video on toys. The next day, they took down, this was in 2016, in 2014, they took down two videos off our YouTube channel. And that was when Michael Matthews won in the pink jersey and when Peter Wedding won on stage nine. Now, don't tell me that that is not a bullying tactic to say, hey, if you've got a problem with our race and how we run it, we'll just go and do that on YouTube. Now, that's bullshit. I'm sorry, that's bullshit. If you want to run a race and you have it all um, in the betterment of the sport, have conversations or talk about it or like have a compromise. Yeah. But instead, like it's that's why riders get to the point where they're sick of it. When the whole COVID thing happened, we heard day after day from Matt White that there was issues with the bubble. There was issues with the hotels. There was issue with general public mixing with it. But what does the boss do? He comes out and says, well, I think the teams need to put their hand up and there's a problem with the teams. Yeah. People are getting sick of it. And that, I've obviously got is, biased. But, but I got biased, is, but... It's bullshit. But you've nailed it, nailed it uh, Dan, because that is Vegni's style. He is uh, a, a, a dictator. I think his middle name was Mussolini. But um, he's Joe Pesci, I thought you were going to say something else there. When you said dictator, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else about him, which would have also been appropriate. <laughs> no, he's no. Joe but... Pesci, and he wants to be De Niro. He wants to be Pacino, but he'll forever be Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to watch the Niro in Australia, isn't it? You know, like, I mean, if it wasn't exactly. the, you know, online offerings, then there'd be absolutely nothing. I know uh, that the years that I spent uh, doing this really convoluted procedure to get to RAI television or RAI television in my office, you know, we had a satellite room uh, on our dish back in 2000 or, yeah, 2000 and 2001, and we watched it in Italian. It was that we took an intercept signal from uh, Eurosport that went to New Caledonia back then, and we went. I went way out of the way to try and watch the Giro, and I guess 
20 years later, I'm just sort of fed up with trying to do it like that. And I don't really want to sit around looking at my phone or the computer. I'd like to lie on the lounge and watch the television and, you know, make that offering. And I know what SBS has gone through to try and get the Giro back on their network and it's just been pretty much impossible. And uh, so, like you're saying, Dan, they're making it really difficult for people who are doing really innovative, interesting, fun media that really gives insight into bike racing. What do they do? Shut it down, and it's not like they're giving an alternative. So, what's the what's the go? You know, what's the point of it? If you know what I mean, they're being protective for their Italian audience and their Italian audience exclusively. And the priority for all of these events, right? Any sport, if you if you think that you're above free to air as a priority, well, you've got another thing coming because the more people that drop off, the harder it is to get those people back, and you know. As you said, in Australia, not everyone can fork out money for GCN app. Not everyone just wants to watch a few highlights. They want to watch the narrative of the sport. They want to follow yeah. their teams. That should be the priority in every single um, territory. Uh, Scotty, you're back. If you, if you want to attract people to the sport, the, the, the worst thing that you can do is make it more difficult. You know? And so surely they would realise that there's more value add for the sponsor if they can... Okay, we know that there's television rights uh, money on offer, but that's diminishing in 2020. It's not like it was 20 years ago, five years ago even. There's not that willingness for people uh, to pay for bike racing. And uh, and they get an opportunity to enhance their race and it doesn't... The, no, the, pro the problem was, the problem was there, there was, well, there was hope, right, for the Giro because the guy who was running the show before... Um, Joe Pesci, he was uh, he he was actually open to chatting to the teams and having open discussions and whatever, and he got thrown under the bus, and like he was he was someone that you know everyone was like oh wow this is a new way of looking at this traditional race like he realised that it wasn't exactly what he wanted to do but he's no longer there it's it's a real shame and uh, but you know yeah. the one thing we, we if we take a step back. I mean, I love the Giro. It is just a beautiful race. Uh, and I love, you know, a lot of uh, parts of being on the event and the fans are, are, are real bike fans. You know, it's not just a bucket list thing like the Tour de France. Okay, you can be crowds. But you can tell it's, it's got some, you know, special things going for it. But if they don't take a step back and look at what they're starting to do, get wrong, they're going to have a big backlash against them. And it, it is. It's not just about the long distance. It, it's about the, the long transfers before and after. Like, as Matty was saying the other day, they had two and a half hours travel to the start, then uh, a, a 250 kilometre stage, and then another two and a half hours in the bus afterwards. So that's a ridiculous day for the athletes. Could, could you imagine playing a test match in Melbourne and putting the Australian cricket team up in Warrnambool? Or two and a half hours away to stay, they would go. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a disgrace. We're not going to put up with that. That happens every day. It sounds just like some of my early detour <laughs> yeah. trips on the Tour de France. Straight <laughs> get me started. Yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately, we're talking about that kind of stuff up rather than the good uh, news items out of it. Like certainly for the Australian audience, you know, with Ben and Dry and Rowan doing what they've done in the last few days and really attracting attention, but I think you covered that yesterday. But it, it is interesting just to watch the, the different machinations of different organisers. Like, for example, when Michael Matthews tested uh, positive for the COVID 
and, and then he had to drive nine hours home on his own. There was no um, solution given to him. So they really, uh, the, 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 the outside looking in would suggest that there's a real um, supportive atmosphere for the bike riders, even in, uh, in a really extreme situation like being um, testing positive for COVID-19. But then unfortunately, he basically had to manage his own hire car. Uh, and of course, someone else couldn't drive because they're not wanting to, they're trying to quarantine him. But there's all these other different elements that are coming to play in 2020, and it just makes bike racing so complicated. So I'm impressed that they've been able to get to this last weekend. I mean, to be fair, that's, uh, I, I didn't actually see that happening a couple of weeks ago. No. But, but you're you know right. What? You're right, though. Yeah. We've got to start getting positive. Um, there's too many false positives as part of the problem but amongst all what we've just said it's been a bloody brilliant bike race other than a little uh, protest yesterday every day it's been fantastic it's been an absolutely brilliant bike race as has been the whole covid stuffed up year i mean the tour de france the classics they've all been bloody amazing but Mm. i've started thinking about especially this last well, this week when we've got the Vuelta and the Giro running concurrently. And, I mean, for years I've thought that there's just been quite simply too much bike racing. And because you, you, you begin the season in January, by November you're utterly fatigued, you know. When you look at the biggest sports in the world, the, or the, the, the biggest money sports like uh, the NFL, it's not what Gridirons or American football is called. Anyway, that season, what, 12 weeks, if that? Like it's... Super abbreviated and cycling, it just, it's been, I mean, it's been great because it's growing around the world and Tour Down Under is the catalyst for it being beginning in January and then there's Chinese races, the, the catalyst for it being extending through to November and then in the middle there's Middle East and elements that weren't part of traditional cycling. But now with COVID and the need to concertina the, the events that had sort of not been cancelled, it just, especially when you've got two grand tours going on at the same time, and it's already difficult. You know, we're an independent. I'm an independent cycling media company, and it's just actually Ride Media is pretty much just me now. And uh, I like to cover the racing, but I don't want to be the, the the kick it to me guy, sort of pretending as though I'm at the Giro when I'm not, or I'm at the Vuelta when I'm not. So I've sort of retracted a little bit. Yeah, but uh, when now now there's an opportunity for the UCI to come in and say, all right. Because of COVID, we need to now start managing the calendar a little bit more pragmatically, a little bit clever, and stop making every big race that comes into the into the realm part of the world tour. It just can't be. There has to be some kind of, and I don't have the solution, but I'm saying that now is the opportunity for the community and, and the organisers of races and teams and everyone to come together and say, okay, what are we going to do? Because the obvious that the... the, the the, the key was, most people will agree, that they, that the tour needed to run. And then the UCI was also adamant that no matter what, the world's had to run, and they remarkably pulled that off. But uh, my feeling is now it's let's get the conversation started on not necessarily what gets culled, but what gets priority over others. Am I alone in that line of thinking? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in there, Rob. Um, I think... So the World Tour and the way it sits now with so many races in it, that really was born from the fight between the UCI and ASO, the Tour de France organisers. 
Um, and I've got a spin on that with, with RCS and the way they conduct themselves at the moment as well. But I think that, uh, and witnessing this in Europe and seeing the number of races that were at that second tier, so before the real UCI and, and ASO battle really started to wage, um, there was a really healthy second level scene. So the pro-continental teams and the continental level teams before, below that they had a very good calendar to race in. And there were, you know, I was living a long time in Germany and you had a lot of races, uh, you know, in Germany, the tours that were quite healthy. Um, but then the push to the very top level with World Tour and with so many races going into that, that completely diluted the exposure of the second level tier. So I think underneath World Tour, the sport is is has very shaky um, foundations. Um, so I think they really do need to reassess what the World Tour is. <laughs> and get away from what the battle was about. The battle was about UCI trying to get power over ASO and trying to be the governing body, which is what they are. But ASO, we know, has the most power in the sport. So you've got one race organiser that does several different events, but they are the most powerful uh, element of the sport by far. They've got so much more power than the UCI. The UCI can kick the Tour de France out of the World Tour, and the Tour de France will still be the world's largest annual sporting event. The teams will still go there. They won't care what the UCI say. Um, and I think RCS has seen that battle over the years and under uh, Mauro Veni that you know, they're trying to have that battle for themselves to try and give themselves more relevance, but it's as a dictatorship and it's uh, it's not coming across very well at all. I think what scares them as well is if the, if the writers can sort their stuff out and have a collective voice, well, then essentially they will be the most powerful voice in the sport because if you don't have the writers, you don't have the tour. And so that'll get interesting next year, particularly if they start getting what they want, which is the one rider, one vote, and that union really gets a bit of strength. You see what happens in the NBA. You see what happens in the NFL. If you piss the athletes off, you don't have a sport. They just shut it down. And if it's COVID going on and they're like... Last night, isn't it, where they abbreviate the stage with not much to know. But, I mean, going back to the original question with the rider strike, they they knew it was going to be 258 kilometres since whenever the route was announced. So why didn't they look at amending it? And then when it was postponed to October, then they needed to take action then rather than either the day before or the day of. Uh, so well, that's- you, well, you, you know what it's like. When you get to that danger zone, stage 13 to 19 of a grand tour, you're so cooked. You know, jokes aren't funny anymore. The littlest thing pisses you off and they've obviously got up in the morning. Hanson's gone, that's it. Let's, uh, let's yeah. make a stand. So. I, I think exactly that. I, even you, you're right, Rob. They they did know. Everyone knew before the race started. We're all saying probably ridiculous to race that far on that day. But as you've got the last three days of these great long transfers, uh, and, and they're not getting into their hotel uh, to, to you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, up early in the morning, and they're just going. You know what? It's bloody ridiculous. I think it, it was a, a, the realisation of all that happening so quickly. But I still don't think they should have done it. I still think they had to complain about it. But still should, you can't turn up on the morning of the event and hold a gun to, to, to their heads, which they did. I, I, I disagree with that. But yeah. I would also like to say, let's talk about this Giro. We've got two days to go. We've got yeah. two great stages. Uh, I think uh, I think I've got the uh, right stage profile. Is this the updated one? <laughs> That's yes. the one. Yes. You beauty. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a, 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 a great race today uh, and in, the tactics are going to be very, very interesting to how it's all played out. What's going to happen, Scooter? 
Well, you see that first climb. So obviously they've, they've compromised. There was going to be, you know, an absolute kicker, um, you know, massive climb to start with to get them over into France, then the Col d'Isoard, and then that same climb that they're doing twice. So this is, you can see that there is a difference. The first one is uh, 30-odd kilometres. That's the easy way up to Sestriere. And once they get up to the finish, then they drop down and then come up another way. Um, so you can see the the gradient is pretty nasty, um, you know, for the, the, the finish. Um, it's not as steep or as hard as the hills that we've seen so far in the race. And the two big climbs on this stage originally would have made this one a real decider. But, and, and this is where I say, you know, Ineos and Bahrain McLaren would be disappointed that, this, that uh, yesterday's stage was shortened because they wanted that extra fatigue. They didn't want Wilco Kelderman to have an easy day yesterday or easier day so we could freshen up a little bit more than he would have had he had to race 260Ks. Um, and the same goes for Jai Hindley. That also then transfers, if nothing changes on this stage, that also translates into the final time trial as well with Wilco Kelderman's background in time trialling. It's been a while since he's done a really good time trial, but he was ninth in the time trial opening stage of the Tour de France, I think 2015 or 16, 16 maybe, when um, uh, Rowan Dennis won in Utrecht. So that's how fast he can be in a short time trial when he's fresh. Um, so being allowed to freshen up a little bit more mode, not racing 260, that plays into Sunweb's hands. Um, so Ineos and Bahrain, regardless, they're just going to have to throw everything at them. So, yeah, I mean, okay. uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a completely different picture of five years ago. It's the, I don't think you can draw any comparison or any conclusion based off the Utrecht time trial for what's going to happen in Milan on Sunday. But um, no. just while I'm talking, it, it, is it just me or is it is it possible that Jai might win the bloody race? No, I don't think so. I don't think he can win it because my I don't think they they'll finish to, to, together tonight. I, 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 yeah, I'll but John, I keep saying this: it's 2020. You don't know what you're talking about. Anything can happen. <laughs> I can tell Have you not learned from this? <laughs> yes, but it won't. You're right. You those three will be racing uh, the the time drive with the gaps that are now on Sunday. That's how it'll go. And and Kelderman, I believe, will win this because he beat he, he beat uh, Ta uh, Gagenhart by thirty seven seconds in the last time trial, which was 30K. This is only half that. There's no way yeah, Gagenhardt's going to turn that around. In, in the climb, you know, like on the climbing stage, and there's a lot of climbing going on here. And the way yeah, that Jai's yeah. climbing, what's Jai going to do if Gagenhardt goes ahead again? I can understand people questioning why didn't he wait for Kelderman the other day, but what happens if that happens again? I think Luke Roberts made the right call, and I think uh, Hindley made the right response. And... But should it happen again, like what, what, when they go over the first history, what, what happens if Kelderman's mm. dropped then? So, oh, well, that, 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 of course, will change everything. But I, I don't believe that uh, Kelderman will. You know, Stelvio is a different thing. You've got you know, such high altitude, the highest uh, point of the whole race. Probably that affected him as much as anything else. Well, they haven't got that uh, tonight. Uh, you've got... He's been handling the, these other climbs quite well, so I don't reckon he will be in trouble tonight. You know, you know what? You know what? Because because it's 2020, Jai Hindley will win this Giro d'Italia. You heard it here first, folks, and we'll use that sound grab and we'll promote it. And when he does win, I can say, "Hey, mate, John Downer, Jad, don't don't talk to him. We all backed no. you, mate." Well, I, Nibbley, I, Nibbley I, I seriously, I seriously hope that you're dead right, mate. 
Then I look like yeah. an absolute. Well, we need we, hey, we need at least one person to say, and Rob's in his corner oh, as well. To say, hey, you can win it. On, um, Monday night Australian time. I, I, it was a ten-minute interview. You can see it. I put it. You can read it or listen to it. And he was so humble, and he's so typically dry. You know, I tried to get him to explain himself, and he was just like, I'm "Just an Aussie bloke, you know. I'm just a guy from Perth who likes to ride his bike." And I was like, "Yeah, but you're third in the Giro, which he was at that point." Did you, I don't know if that's been referenced in the podcast, but um, so he had skin folds only 15 minutes before I spoke to him. He was 60.3 kilos. He did a 20-minute 390 watts, which was his PB uh, on that climb when uh, he disposed of Almedia. Um, and um, I, I just... I mean, <laughs> me riding my bike and any... and But, but looking at 390 watts... At 60 kilos for 20 minutes, there's it's like the, these numbers oh, yeah. are just be, it's for me, my mind boggles. And I, I don't know if anyone else has taken that sort of concepts on board, but that when there's these three passes over, really, you know, this has to be, it might not be um, the Stelvio, but it's still a bugger of a climb, and you get that to run at it three times. He could really light it up, and even if you could lose a minute in the in the time trial or, or more, which is possible, um, I reckon that it, it's sort of shaping up like the this young guy who likes to ride his bike could could indeed win the thing. Yeah, and that's, that's what that's what Canel used to say. Remember, I just want to ride my bike, and he went on the window <laughs> tour. So I think um, for that scenario to happen, it would have to be. Um, Kelderman would have to completely capitulate very early on in the stage on the first time up the climb, maybe. Um, and they'll have a lot of their teammates with them because that first climb, while it's 30Ks all the way up to Sestria, it's not quite as hard as the, the, the last two. So they'll still have, um, you know, Ullman and, and Chris Hamilton should still be there to ride support for the leader. Um, so I just think Wilco would have to completely blow. You know, can you imagine to see you know your teammate in the pink jersey and your teammate himself actually making the attacks? Following Tao is one thing, um, but then he has to feel confident enough to then attack over the top of Tao, which I, I just don't think he did the other day. I don't think he had the confidence to uh, to you know Tao was going so strong in the final climb. I, I don't think it was either. No, no, it was nothing to do with confidence, mate. He was told straight, straight out, do not mm -hmm. just sit on him, do not go by. And it was the right call because if he had have attacked, any, they would have gained more time and Kelderman mightn't have even got into the uh, pictures. So it was the right call at the time. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but I, just I, I, I don't think Tao, if, if Jai, if Jai had attacked, uh, not yet. Tao had uh, chased him, then they wouldn't have gone on with it. So they wouldn't have gained, wouldn't have given Tao any more of an advantage over Wilco. The decision to just follow and not drop back to Wilco was absolutely the correct decision, I think, at the time. In hindsight, it was the wrong decision because in hindsight, we can now look and see how much time Wilco lost on the last part of the climb up the Sestria, how much he lost on the descent, which was only like five seconds on the descent. He lost all of his time, majority of it, by far, it was about a minute in the valley when mm. Rowan Dennis was absolutely driving it on the front. So that's where he lost most of his time. Had Jai dropped back, which I'm glad he didn't, but had he dropped back, then he would have driven it through the valley floor and they would have, Rowan probably would have still been faster than Jai in that section, but that would have meant he would have only lost maybe 30 seconds before the final climb. And then Wilco was not so bad at, you know, going up that final climb compared to Teo. And he would be not just 15 seconds or whatever it is in front, he might have been 45 seconds still in front. And they'd be very confident that he was going to win overall.
That's exactly I just think the fact that he was totally isolated. You know, so, yeah. I just think for Jai, there comes a time in every cyclist's uh, career where you know what the right thing to do is, and you look back at your teammate and you say, stiff shit, mate, I'm off. I'm getting the jersey. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Just well, look, you look, Phil Anderson did it in, the, in 1981, mate. Exactly. No one, if he, if he wins the jersey and cooks Kelderman, no one in the history books is going to look at that pink jersey and go, yeah, but sort of Phil for Wilco. Yeah. Ah, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I disagree with your hindsight uh, uh, analogy there, Scotty, in that I think hindsight shows they made exactly the right call because at the moment they've got both things covered. If it does, he does crack today, if Kellerman uh, cracks today, uh, uh, on, on Sestri Air first time, they've still got Jai uh, going to the pink jersey and we'll just have to get a bigger gap. He needs another 20 or 30 seconds, I reckon, uh, of going at half for the time trial. He'd have to really – but he's got time to do that uh, the last couple of times up Sestri Air if Kellerman cracks. So they've still got two hands to play. If he had have waited – there only would have been one hand to play at forty-five mm. seconds, and it was guaranteed. But yeah, well, it's look. guaranteed. It's guaranteed now. If he doesn't crack, there's no way Gagan Hart's going to take uh, any time out of uh, Kelderman in the time trial on Sunday. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You'll be thrown at him up Sestri. Yeah. This the, the second time up there. They have to really start driving it to make the. Yeah. Um, mm. Don't wait till yeah. the last climb. Rounding out the top ten, I know that that's really the top three that are in contention. Is there someone? Remember when Nibali won? What was that year? Then when big stain, yeah, is is there someone who, who could do one of those sort of just totally come from behind, like Pelo Bilbao or someone like that? I don't know, I'm just wondering. He's oh, the best of the rest. Nibble, Nibbly can produce anything too, like who knows? Who knows? It's 2020, as we said. <laughs> You know, you can't make over the hill, bloody over the hill, over the hill. Days are gone. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, do we want to quickly touch on the Vuelta before we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, sure. This is the stage profile. I hope that's the, the correct one. Looks right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is right. Well, it was a great, a great stage last night, and uh, uh, Sam Bennett. Uh, you might remember who one of us picked him to win the stage, and um, he he. Uh, he it was a great sprint. He careened him. Uh, uh, Philipson looked like he'd had the perfect lead out. But, gee, when you see the overhead shot, the way Sam come past him, he was miles too quick. So it was a great stage last night. But today, uh, I reckon it'll be a breakaway day myself. I think uh, they'll let the break get up the, uh, the road. And uh, I'm not sure who it's going to be. But, uh, yeah. Johnny, mm. the um, the... One of the things that um, with Sam's win yesterday that stood out to me was uh, he clearly the, the, the fastest at the end, um, but in the last five k's, the work that uh, his team did to keep him basically just cruised you know out of the wind and really well protected. Yeah. It was a real scramble. It was a bit of crosswind. Yeah. Didn't break anything up, but it was it was hard to to be in position. And Sam was able to just sit on the wheel of uh, Mikkel Moku and just be taken all the way into the finish. They didn't do a great lead out in the last 500 metres or so. Um, Left-hand corner, it, made, it was really confusing. And then Sam was on his own. But in the 5Ks leading up to the actual sprint, the team did everything yeah. to just carry him to that position where he had to do it himself. Um, and that is so often the case between these sprinters. If you have to move up, go out into the winds, for any length of time in those last couple of Ks, that's enough to take sort of two, three percent off your sprint. 
and you've just got nothing when you have to give it all at that last little push to the line. So Sam's team, as they always do, have done a great job. Not taking nothing yeah. away from Sam as well. He was definitely the fastest in this in the sprint. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good stuff. Well, hey Rob, before we go, where can we where's the best spot to see all your interviews and so forth for Ride magazine? That's not a magazine anymore. I, I just oh, do it's ridemedia.com.au. You can have a look there. There hasn't been a, a wealth of content this month, but the interview with Jai is is uh, is there front and center. And um, thank you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then also just use the searches. So interviews dating back many years, but um, I've just been riding my bike and collecting a whole bunch of product content to be honest and, and I'm, I'm just sort of looking forward to it, it, this whole season sort of thrown me into disarray of how you manage the coverage of racing so it's a pleasure to be talking to you guys about bike racing it's it is a really lovely thing to do um, and uh, no, great to have you on mate great to have you on uh, any comments dj Comments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Comments from the punters. Sorry, mate. I, uh, yeah, there's one here. Poor Scotty. Can't get a word in. Uh, Kirsty says, what's on Iffy's VHS videos on his shelf? Can you discuss that on this show, John? <laughs> oh, Detour de France. We've got Detour de France video, uh, which uh, you know very well. Hi from Brazil, gents. Always a fantastic show. That's from Nello. Hello. Uh, Where, where's Bra Brazil? Where's Brazil? Is it near Brazil? Brazil? Yeah. No, didn't, oh, no, yeah. It was an S and not a Z, but anyway. Oh, Brazil. Okay. <laughs> uh, great call, Dan. Go, Jai. A uh, lot of support for me, of course. Go, Dan. Uh, I think people loved it when I got the one wood out. Karen Jones, well said, Dan. Uh, and another one. Go, Dan. Uh, we had another comment. Um, as much as the Giro is my favourite Grand Tour, it has the worst organisation behind it by far. RCS is corrupt disgrace. Now, I didn't say that. That was from someone else. Who did you, uh, did you, who did you text to get him to put that comment up, Dan? Uh, yeah, they're on the books. Uh, here's, here's a comment. Should we go back to double stages in a day like the 80s and prior? Two 100K stages in the mountains could be great for us fans. AJ from Chicago. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, why not make no, Year at three and a half weeks, like 1987. And, and our old mate Rob Eva, uh, great show, guys. Not much else to do in today in Melbourne. Nah, Cox Plate <laughs> AFL Grand Finals on tonight. And then this is a good one. If he wants the gaffer tape for, what do you get up to in that studio? <laughs> gaffer tape oh. and VHS the... videos. Mm. <laughs> cobwebs too. Cobwebs there. Anyway, all good. All good. Hey, um, yeah. a couple of things there. Um, so you just Rob Eva with a comment there. He's um, yep. He's doing his accommodation out at uh, Warburton, getting ready for the incredible mountain bike park that's going to be coming to Warburton over the next couple of years. That's going to be unbelievable, probably the best in Australia. I think it's $11-plus really? million dollars they're spending out there. Um, oh, great. So, yeah, really looking forward to, to that one for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and, and VHS videos, Dan, can you, do you want to go into detail as to – because it was VHS or Betamax, and I think Betamax was better – but VHS won out in the end. Why yeah. is that, you know? Uh, you know the answer. It was the porn industry. Whatever they decide, that's what they went with. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Betamax, well, Betamax refused to, to allow their um, product to be used in porn, wasn't it? And VHS said yes, and porn went nuts. And I think Betamax they made off. the call with, with DVDs as well. So, 
Yeah. There's a little there uh, detour fact for you. It's got nothing to there do with the bike. Go. There you shaking go. Your head go. Johnny, shaking your head. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Rob. Thanks, fellas. No we'll, we'll unpack uh, what's going to be a drama-filled Giro stage tonight. Go, Jai. Uh, I believe he can win it. Rob believes he can win it if he says no. We'll see. I would love him to win it. Love him to win it. We all well, want him to win, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we're having that discussion tomorrow night. See you then.